embrace the idea of you're the one, like just taking on, I am the one that is going to transform health in my family. And it's up to me, like really not just accepting it, but say just ownership of it. I am the one that's going to do this. I'm not going to wait for my husband or my spouse or my kids to do this. I'm going to take this on. How is it possible for a parent of a child with autism to become the superhero their child needs now? I'm Len. And I'm Cass. When our son was diagnosed with moderate to severe autism, we went all in. We spent over a decade learning everything we could on how we could transform to help our son thrive. And guess what? He's doing it. This year, he ran for class president. Each week on this podcast, we will be sharing the secrets needed for you to become the superhero your child needs. If you want to learn how to tap into your innate superpowers to help your child thrive, visit AutismParentingSecrets.com. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Today with us is Zen Honeycutt. She is the founder and director of Moms Across America, a dynamite nonprofit national coalition of unstoppable moms with the motto, Empowered Moms, Healthy Kids, and we couldn't agree more. Moms Across America has grown rapidly with over 600 leaders. They've created over 1,000 community events in all 50 states in their first five years of inception. Sen's been featured on ABC, CNN, Dr. Oz, Wall Street Journal, C-SPAN, Fox News, the list goes on and on, and many, many other media outlets. Even more importantly, though, she has three boys with allergies and autism symptoms, which greatly improved when they went GMO-free and organic. She discovered that thousands of moms are seeing the same results. So with all that, Cass and I are honored to have Zen with us today. We're going to cover a number of topics, mainly focused on food, but even more broadly, the beauty, the magic of inconvenience, because it so often does lead to what's going to help your child thrive, what's going to truly make a huge difference as you're trying to support them even more to thrive, to heal. Doing inconvenient things is a huge key part of it. And Zen is going to help us really expand on that key topic. So welcome, Zen. Well, thank you so much, Lana Cass. I really appreciate being here. And thanks to all your listeners. It's a pleasure. Oh my God, we're so excited to have this conversation and it's Great. like where to start. <laughs> um, I mean, because here you are living this, right? You fully embraced, you've changed your lifestyle. You've moved across the country. You're now what, homesteading? Is that the right? Yes. Part? Yeah, well, like wannabe. We're not totally off the grid, but yes, we are growing food and we have, I don't know, 40, 50 animals last count and, uh, you know, chickens and rabbits and goats and dogs and cats and uh, all kinds of things now, growing our own food because we know that whole food, you know, non-GMO, non-chemically sprayed is the best thing for our kids. And we just want to be able to teach them and empower them to be able to, you know, have access to that. And plus, it's just fun. Let, I'm so excited to go deep on this topic because it's one, we've talked about food, but we've never really gone into the importance of, let's talk, you know, non-GMO, let's organic, of course, but not necessarily to this level. Um, and especially like the pesticide component of it. I also, you know, from a labeling perspective, there is a little bit for me personally, I see so much more trickery going on from yes. like when you buy food in stores. My latest example I was telling them this morning is like, I love it because, you know, Costco has great organic raspberries and then they have raspberries that now have the same green label as organic, but it's not organic. And it's like the way that colors and labels and things are starting to be used. It's like, oh my God, where if, you know, for you, for a mom who's kind of getting started, what's a good place to start? Well, a good place to start is to embrace the idea of you're the one like I, just taking on, I am the one that is going to transform health in my family. And it's up to me, you know, like really not just accepting it, but say just ownership of it. I am the one that's going to do this. I'm not going to wait for my husband or my spouse or my kids to do this. I'm going to take this on and, and just start look at, like you said, looking at the labels and as much as possible, choosing organic. 
Now, is organic always perfect? No, but it is the tests have shown, the thousands of tests have shown that it has far fewer pesticides, if any at all, in, in a lot of cases, far fewer pesticides and herbicides. And it is safer for your child and your family. And it is going to support your child to heal, to have their bodies heal themselves. Our bodies can heal themselves. They have the capacity to do that, but they are being inundated with so many toxins, GMOs, environmental pollution, um, toxins and vaccines and medications and antibiotics and all of these things. Our children's bodies are being inundated. So just taking on, I'm the one that's going to ward off these toxins and these chemicals, like the the, it, the buck stops here with me, right? Like the chemicals stop here with me and I'm the one that's going to do that. Because once you do that, you're not like resisting it so much. You're taking on ownership of it. Right. And so the doors start to open up and you start seeing like, oh, okay, I can choose this instead of that. And the alternative brands show up, the, the alternative you know, types of supplements and remedies show up because you're looking for them. So it actually becomes easier because you're not resisting it. You're embracing it. You're like manifesting it, right? Yeah, you are. You're calling it to you. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, I'm putting this stake in the ground. And I think putting that stake in the ground and actually being that gatekeeper, right, for your child's health and wellness is so important. And I know this was such a big part of our journey when Rye was diagnosed, but when, you know, we you know, sold our house, we moved into a green building that, you know, purified our air and water, but food was the other foundational thing that we did where we basically went as organic as we could. And if, you know, we went crazy at times where if we couldn't find organic, we wouldn't buy things. And then we kind of learned and got more educated as we went along. But setting that foundation is so important for our children, especially a child with a diagnosis, maybe it's autism, maybe it's ADHD, but setting that foundation really clean is so, so, so foundational, you know, as that first stop of healing. Because I think other things parents don't realize is it's not like when our kids are born, they're born clean. They are already have a toxic burden that came in probably, you know, from exposures that the parent had or, you know, in room where I, you know, that environmental working group study from what, 2005, I think it was, that showed like 283 chemicals in cord blood. Yes. That was so big. Yeah. Yes. That's and there, there continue to yeah. be studies like that and showing that our kids are inundated, inundated with these toxins. But the things that, the thing that we have control over that we purchase is the food and mostly moms, 85% of the food is purchased by moms. I'm sure like in your house, like it is in my house now, it's, that's not the case anymore. It's, um, you know, more 50, 40 or 60 or whatever. So my husband buys a lot of food too. But, um, you know, in the beginning, I just want to go back to, to, that choice, I have to admit, my husband was not on board in the beginning. It, he wasn't against it. He just didn't know what I knew. He didn't take the time to learn it. He was busy, you know, doing his job. And so if I had just spent all my energy being resentful at him for not doing this, it would have really put a rift in things and stopped, you know, the progress. So I just accepted, okay, I'm the one that's going to learn about this and buy the food and shift the family and have the conversations and show our family the movies that would educate them and ask them for their partnership in taking this on. Like for instance, when my son, my eldest son had allergies that almost killed him, right? And he, on Thanksgiving evening, he almost died from nuts in the stuffing. It was horrific, right? And hope nobody ever has to go through that. Over the years, we avoided nuts, but he continued to have multiple allergies, multiple gut issues. And back then I didn't know about GMOs and glyphosate. I didn't know about, you know, the toxins and vaccines. I just trust my doctors. I trusted what was on the shelves. I walked in the grocery store. I bought what looked good and as healthy as possible. I just didn't know. So, but one day he had this rash around his mouth that had been going on for seven months on and off for two weeks at a time. It was like, it looked like a vacuum cleaner had like sucked on the outside of his mouth, a red line. And his lips every once in a while would swell up and get red and flaky and even bleed. And the poor kid went to school like this. And one day he looked at me with this, his face looking like this. And he looked so miserable. He was probably about eight years old, maybe nine. And he said, mom, I wish all my allergies would go away. And I said, me too, buddy. But in my head, I was thinking that's never going to happen because that's what the doctors told me. And then I realized what mother voice in my head was saying to myself. And I was like, wait a second, that's pretty darn disempowering. 
that's not what I'm committed to. That makes us both out to be victims. Like we can't do anything about this. What if we could do something about this? And then it occurred to me that my cousin, Sarah, had told me at one point that she was uh, gluten intolerant and she had gone gluten-free 100% for a year. And a year later, she did have a piece of cake at a wedding and she was fine. She didn't have the rash and the fatigue and the reactions that she'd had before. She gave her body time to reset, right? And to be able to, to, and she ate healthier and, you know, did other things. So I was like, what if we could do that with my son? And so I reminded my son about this and, and I said, Ben, would you like to like one day, maybe a year from now, be able to eat, say a slice of pizza or a piece of birthday cake at a, at a party? He said, yes, because he couldn't do that at that time. Um, and, and I said, well, would you be my partner in your health? Like, would you drink green drinks and try, I don't know, acupuncture, like, do, like, would you do whatever it takes to get yourself better? And he looked at it, he thought seriously about it. And he said, yes. And I said, then I promise you, buddy, you will get better. Now that was scary. Cause I didn't know, but what I do know is that if you make a promise to somebody, especially your kid, you are going to step up. And you were going to do things that you never did before. And that's what I knew had to be done, right? Like we had done everything that I knew how to do. We'd go to the doctors, slap a cream on it, whatever, you know. And so I thought we need to do something different. We need to do things we've never done before. And I know if I make a promise to my kid, that's what's going to happen. So I shook his hand. We made a deal and we started doing things we'd never done before. And in, in that moment, I had this internal realization that if we had to both eat birdseed, for a year, I was willing to do that with him. You know what I mean? I was willing to go through this journey as difficult and inconvenient and as not fun as it might be to get him better. And I also knew that if I didn't try like anything in my power to get him better, I would, I don't want to say never forgive myself because it's terrible, but I just would not be happy with myself, right? I would not be proud of who I was being as a parent. I wanted to be proud of who I, who I was being as a parent. And I wanted him to be proud of who he was being as a, as a kid and as a human being taking on his own health, right? So I was supported him in that within four months of eating non-GMO. So that's when we moved, we learned about GMOs, which I'm sure we'll get into Within four months of eating non-GMO food, it wasn't 100% organic, it was some organic, but non-GMO food, the rash in his face dramatically declined, right? We also did acupuncture and Chinese herbs, right? But that rash in his face, it only showed up for two or three days, faint pink line. It did not have that adverse reaction when he was exposed to his allergens, which at the time, the reacting he was reacting to, we discovered was carangenin by going to an iridologist, right? Which is very difficult to find out about. So once we eliminated, we he exposed to it, he got allergy again, but it was very mild. And so four months of non-GMO, dramatically better. Within a year of going 100% organic, which happened later because of another, my son, my other son and autism symptoms. But once we went 100% organic, my son's allergies went from a 19 down to a 0.2. Wow. He no longer has life-threatening allergies. And my son chooses to eat organic right? hundred percent organic. Like he will not eat at a restaurant if it's not organic. And he chooses to eat also a whole food plant-based diet because that's what, how he feels better. And he's the healthiest person I know right now. He doesn't get sick. My, even both my sons were exposed to poison ivy yesterday. One son has total poison ivy. He does not. Nothing <laughs> like, you know, he's just almost like he had COVID for, for half a day, maybe, <laughs> you know, he is so healthy. And I have peace of mind because of his choices, him taking on his own health. And I love it. You made the commitment to yourself. You made the commitment in partnership with your son, just like people can do partnership with their spouse. Um, I do want to take a step back and do you mind just defining GMO? So for those who are listening, they where everyone's calibrated on the same page. Sure, sure. So GMOs are genetically modified organisms. Uh, they are there's three different kinds. The first one that was developed was the BT toxin herbicide uh, GMO, and it's ba- that's basically corn, and it's, that stands for Bacillus thuringiensis. It's a type of uh, toxin that comes out of the carcass of a dead grain caterpillar. Not very appetizing, <laughs> right? And what they do, they so they use this toxin in in organic 
uh, agriculture, but it just dissipates after about four hours, right? The toxicity of it goes away and it's totally harmless to humans. But in genetic modif- the genetic modification in, in corn, what they do is they genetically engineer it to constantly reproduce more toxins. So it actually produces so many toxins that ex- it explodes the stomach of the bug that eats it and that those toxins go into the bug's system and it dies. So the problem with this is that that same toxin is in that corn when we eat the corn chips or the tortillas or the foods made with corn and it affects our, it can, you know, what we're, I, okay, I haven't seen direct evidence of this, but what the scientists and doctors are saying that it can contribute to the leaky gut issue, which the majority of kids in America have now, especially children with autism. And when the children have leaky gut, those particles of food leak out through their their gut lining, and then the body attacks that food like it's a foreign invader. And you get things like kids, you know, my kids, for instance, had 20 different food intolerances and allergies, right? So their bodies are constantly in a state of inflammation and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So that's the BT toxin. It has the pesticide built right in to to make it short. Okay. And then the um, HT GMO, it stands for herbicide tolerance. And herbicide tolerant is primarily Roundup or glyphosate-based herbicides. 80% of GMOs are engineered to withstand glyphosate. Now, because of all of the lawsuits against Monsanto when the $12 billion that's been paid out to for cancer patients because of Roundup, glyphosate-based herbicides, Ranger Pro, all of that, um, less f- farmers are using glyphosate a little bit less and um, the, but they're more likely to have it be engineered now to glyphosate and dicamba, glyphosate and 2,4-D, glyphosate and atrazine, and paraquat, like paraquat. All of these chemicals are highly harmful, very, very harmful, especially dangerous to the gut. So that's HT. It's herbicide tolerant. That means you can spray the entire crop by airplane or by tractor with this herbicide and the, the crop will live, but all of the other weeds will drop, die. To be fair, it's very effective in most cases, although there's 37 weeds that are now intolerant to it. But in most cases, it's it's effective. It makes does make the job easier for the farmers. But the problem is we are not engineered to withstand Roundup, right? And those, these residues, get this, this made me really mad. They do not wash off, they do not dry off, and they don't cook off. So washing the, your food or just assuming these pesticides are going to cook out, not true. So... Um, so that is HT GMOs. And then the third kind of GMO, I call it DT for desired trait, just to make it easy to remember it well. Um, but they're called CRISPR, gene editing, gene drive, things like that. And those are not related in any way to pesticides or herbicides. But what they do do is genetically engineer that GMO, um, whether it's a fish or an apple, a green Arctic apple or potatoes to do something they want it to do, like not brown. Now, keep in mind, not browning does not mean not rotting. It just means you don't see it. You can actually smell the potatoes rotting, but they don't look rotten. So peep the, the restaurants when you buy French fries, they can cut those up and they could be half rotten potatoes. You just don't see it, right? Those are called Simplot GMO potatoes. So there are many types of CRISPR and gene editing um, types of GMO foods that are making their ways into the marketplace now, mushrooms, potatoes, apples, um, pineapples, different types, you know, fish, different types of things now. And guess what? They don't have to be labeled. Our government has given the responsibility to the manufacturers to determine if they are safe. They've given them generally recognized as safe status. That's called grass. And it's clearly even worse than the fox, you know, managing the hen house. It's like the fox is in there feasting, you know, and uh, it's ridiculous. So the only way to avoid those gene drive and gene edited foods, which by the way, the problem is that they showed even in preliminary studies that they cause thousands of off-target mutations. So they go in to edit that one gene that will cause it to you know, not show the browning, but then all, thousands of other changes will happen in that organism. Now, I'm not interested in feeding my children something that causes off-target mutations. Are you? 
No, and I'm not interested in things that have been designed kind of in a lab. And what I said, I read this week something about like now a new kind of GMO beef was just approved. Yes. Yeah. A new type of GMO beef. Um, yeah. There's been like cows that don't grow horns because, oh, I guess it's just too inconvenient for the farmers. Um, cows that grow, you know, more muscle mass that that have oh, beef that has a resistant to a certain type of sugar. Because there are people who are getting bit by ticks, apparently the Lone Star tick in Dallas, that then create a resistance to the sugar and they can't eat beef. So rather than addressing, gee, why are people's immune systems so damaged? And why do they, why are they getting this reaction to these ticks that normally wouldn't have happened? Could it be glyphosate that we're eating in the majority of our food supply that weakens our immune system? Oh no, let's instead focus our attention on genetically engineering animals, not caring about what type of you know side effect that's going to have on the animals or on the humans, right? So it's just, it's like tinkering. They're like playing with toys, with genetics and they feel good. It feeds their ego to develop something new and like have it named after them or be the one that's recognized for this without any concern for repercussions. I read this book called Bold one time. It was all about doing something big and brave in the world and corp, you know, for it was for CEOs and corporations. And this guy in there said that there's a, a one, a pretty famous CEO of a corporation. I don't know which one, but could have been like Apple or Google or something like that, right? Like, I, I don't know which one it was, but the CEO would walk into the board meetings consistently with a t-shirt that said safety last. We want innovation first and safety last. Incredible. That's the mentality that we're dealing with here in our food supply now. Right. And so I love that you broke it down into these three parts and, you know, interesting when you kind of look at it and there are question for you as it relates to the HT that you mentioned, right? The herbicide tolerant GMO. Is that also, because they also spray crops like wheat, you know, they use the glyphosate as a desiccant there to kind of dry the crop. Excellent point. the harvesting easy. So here it is. It's, you know, the wheat is now sprayed to make the harvesting easier. So, and this is what, two weeks, I think, prior to kind of dry it out. So you have this, all, it's used for multi-purpose too. Yes. Yes. So good point. The, that wheat is not genetically modified, nor are the beans or the peas or the legumes or garbanzo beans. Those are not genetically modified. They may be hybridized. Like wheat, modern wheat now is hybridized to have a enzyme in it called gliadine, which most most people that have a gluten intolerance, that's the thing that they are intolerant to, myself included. Mm-hmm. It's not ancient wheat. Ancient wheat, I can eat just fine, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> and um, as long as it's organic, right? So they, they could be hybridized. But what they're doing is, like you said, spraying these crops, beans, peas, beans, legumes, sugar, um, you know, wheat, grains, barley, hops, your beer could have glyphosate in it. We've, we've tested it. It's been positive. Um, so these grains are sprayed with glyphosate commonly, not everywhere, but commonly with glyphosate. Now they're starting to do other chemicals too, like I think 2,4-D um, to, as a drying agent so that they can harvest them more quickly, especially in wetter regions like in Canada. And so that is very very concerning. And glyphosate, if I can just say a bit about that, the reason why that is uh, such an issue is number one, it's the most widely used herbicide in the world. 280 million pounds are used every year on our food crops for those two reasons, right? It's either genetically engineered to withstand it, or they're using it as a drying agent. So it's just massively used around the world. And um, and the majority of the foods tested, the conventional foods tested, had glyphosate in it, any of those beans and grains that we, we showed. And that you can find on, on Amazon. There's a book called Poison Foods of North, North America, and you can see 7,800 food samples that were tested in Canada. Of course, our government didn't do that, but Canada did. Um, this great activist named Tony Mitra bugged them until they did that. and. Um, and so you can see those food samples. So glyphosate is a problem because number one, it's it's so widely used. It's so prevalent. And number two, because the effects that it has is number one, they found that it's carcinogenic. Number two, it can cause liver disease at very low levels, levels as lower than what the EPA says is safe on our food supply. One out of eight Americans now have liver disease. It has been proven to destroy the beneficial gut bacteria and allow for the proliferation of the pathogenic gut bacteria. And that 
gut dysbiosis is what contributes to the majority of autism issues and other autoimmune issues and sleep problems, behavioral issues, all kinds of things, right? Hormonal imbalance. And then it also has been proven to cause reproductive damage. And what I mean by that is in in males and like the males that were exposed to glyphosate in utero, their sperm was damaged in four ways in form and function and quality and quantity. This is so thanks Monsanto for contributing to the decline of the human race, right? That's what's happening. And it's also been shown to cause reproductive damage in females, like larger uteruses and um, reproductive issues, in addition to androgenizing females, masculinizing the, the anal genital distance between their genitals and their anus gets longer, which is a sign of masculinization. They have proven this, that glyphosate is making our female babies more masculine if they're exposed in utero, right? If their mothers are eating glyphosate sprayed food. Um, so there are, there's also thyroid issues and, you know, all kinds of autoimmune issues connected to glyphosate in the food supply. And the gut issue is the most important one. One more point about glyphosate destroying the beneficial gut bacteria and allowing for the proliferation of pathogenic gut bacteria is that according to Matt Buckley, that pathogenic gut bacteria has on the outer wall, something called lipopolysaccharides. And that's their job is to tell the vagus nerve to tell the brain bad guy, right? Like bad guy in the gut. So the, the immunoglio cells in the brain go on attack against these bad guys. But what that does in your brain is create inflammation. And those, that inflammation leads to neurons dying and disconnecting. So that may be why some parents are seeing kids with, you know, their eye contact is disconnecting their ability to pay attention to things, to focus all of that. And so when you feed children, food with glyphosate on it. Um, eggs have been very high, you know, wheat, it's been found in dairy, things like that. The glyphosate is destroying the beneficial gut bacteria and allowing for the proliferation of that pathogenic bacteria that's causing the very problem that you're trying to resist. Now, the problem with that is that the pathogenic gut bacteria actually tells your brain that, that, that your child wants more of the dairy and the wheat and the sugar. So the very food that your child is craving, especially if it's conventional sugar, wheat, or dairy is often causing the very same problem that you are trying to recover your child from. So it's a difficult thing to say, no, you're not going to have those and you're going to have something else, you know, a dairy supplement or, uh, organic and gluten-free foods or some other type of foods but it is well worth it. And it may be rough and rocky for a few days, but they will eat. They won't starve themselves. They will eat and you will get through it and they will feel better. And within days, they will start to feel better. They'll sleep better and they'll focus better and their behavioral issues will calm down. I promise. No, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it, yeah, so it may be like anything else, a few days, it may be a little bit rocky, Yes, but but there's a payoff there because it's not just something that doesn't help that maybe hurts a little bit. You're saying it actually counteracts any nourishment that you might be getting from that food and causing harm on top of that. And, yeah. and our, and our kids are pretty good at knowing what serves them and what doesn't like we all have intuitions. And sometimes we crave the foods that do that our body does need. But in this case, it's the opposite where your child may be craving something that they truly don't need that is toxic, but there's that kind of cycle, that syndrome that's there and they're craving something that actually makes them weak. Yes. And it's, and just keep in mind, it's not them. It's the pathogenic gut bacteria in their right. gut. So you balance that out and this will all calm down. And yes, it will be difficult for a little while, but um, you will get through it and things will get better. And that's why um, for us, when we found out my son had autism issues and that he also had 8.7 parts per billion of glyphosate in his urine at that time. And I put two and two together and realized because he was the only one that didn't have a gluten intolerance, right? My other two sons did, they were, they had no glyphosate in their urine. The middle son did. And it was the same time as a sudden onset of autism symptoms. And I was like, why could this be? And I realized, oh, he's the one that's eating gluten. Like, just like you just said, it's sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent. So we decided to go 100% organic. 
we got rid of even the canned meats and the, you know, the, the switched out the condiments and the breads and the crackers and everything. And, and we realized it wasn't enough to go gluten-free because we were learning. I don't know if we knew at that time, but we knew that many of the ingredients in gluten-free, we, I don't think we, at that time we'd seen the testing, but that the testing later confirmed this, that many of the ingredients in gluten-free foods are ingredients that are sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent, like peas, right? And beans and legumes and corn and soy, right? Those are sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent. So that's going to have glyphosate in it too. So it had to be organic. And we did this um, at the time we started, okay, we'll just do this for the six weeks. Cause that's what the doctor said when he had, he got tested, he had C. diff, uh, all kinds of fungus and bacteria in his gut. He had you know, he said he has gut dysbiosis, holes in his small intestines, all that stuff. You need to clean up his diet. So we did have to do an antifungal and an antibacterial, which I'm not happy about, but it was for a very short period of time. He said, these are very serious, you know, um, bacterias, but we also did do colloidal silver. We went hundred percent organic. We did, you know, acupuncture, like all these things. And within six weeks of going hundred percent organic, his gut, his gut dysbiosis, um, improved his autism symptoms were gone. And when we retested him, his glyphosate levels were no longer detectable. And, and I think that it was not just because of, you know, the antifungals and the antibacterials we took, it was because we didn't keep introducing glyphosate into his gut. Because if you think about it, if you want a fire to go out, but you put a teaspoon of fuel on it, instead of a bucket, you're, the fire's still going to flare up, right? So we need to eliminate any reason for that fire to flare up, and which in this case is the pathogenic gut bacteria, right? You don't want to feed that. Path. So we also had to eat no sugar. My son had to do no sugar. It was um, from Halloween to New Year's. Oh my gosh. Thanksgiving, wow. Christmas. Yeah. It was not easy. Santa Claus had to find sugar-free <laughs> candy <laughs> to put in the stocking. So um, yeah. So, but he did it. He committed again. He committed. He did it. And, um, and how old, was he, how old was he when he made that, that second son was nine at okay. that time. Yeah. So he had the wherewithal, you know, like a two-year-old, oh, it's made, I understand yep. it'd be much harder, but he, you know, he had the wherewithal and he also knew he was aware of how he felt like, cause we talked to him, like, do you notice how you're feeling right now? Do you think that could have something to do with the ice cream you just ate? Like this was beforehand, you know? And we started to have him notice, like he wanted to eat school lunches for a while. And he would come home and get in a fight with his brother and lose his privileges to watch cartoons on Saturday morning. After that happened three or four times, and he started to draw, connect the dots and say, oh, wait a second, maybe that was the school lunch. Then he decided by himself, he chose to stop eating the school lunches and his behavior improved. And that is so important for parents to think about too, is when your child has a diagnosis, the behaviors might not be that diagnosis. The behaviors can be direct effect from what your child is eating. That's and the so first that, thing I would say. Know, to look that, at. Yeah, yes. it's so the importance of the power of looking at what your child's eating and see what those triggers may be for that child is such an important, found, you know, that is foundational. So cleaning up that diet, going organic, getting rid of things like GMOs, you know, I think this is why God gave me a child who's allergic to all of those items just because like, I didn't have a choice, um, but like I just learned how you know his allergies and his autism showed us basically how to do better um, because there is so much crap in our food system now. Um, and so you guys, are you two, I'm sure, are healthier because you're eating oh, totally. better food because of your son. And yeah, so the the point I think that's really important to see is that it's not just about oh this is going to be so inconvenient. I mean, like it's such a pain. I had a child allergic to eggs, one to dairy, one to nuts, one to, you know, two to gluten and wheat. I mean, it just went on and on, right? All these different allergies. It's such a pain in their butt. And I just don't want to do one more thing. Now I have to switch all the way to organic. I remember my mother-in-law saying like, I, you, I got, you know, I went gluten-free. Now you want me to go organic? You're killing me here, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I get it's inconvenient, but guess what? It's in your power. This is not something we're powerless over. This is not just a genetic thing that we have to accept that they, you know, this is just the only way that they have to eat for the rest of their lives. No, guess what? You can clean up their diet. You can go a hundred percent cold Turkey for, I don't know, probably a few months could be a year 
whatever it is, reset their diet. And I, I have to admit now, my sons, when they go to church, sometimes they'll eat that muffin that is not organic. And they won't have a rash. They won't flare up. They won't, you know, have that issue because we dedicated, it was a year or two or more. I don't know. It's been a long time with a hundred percent organic at home and supported them with their good microbiome, eating sauerkraut, having some, for a short period of time, some spore probiotics, you know, we, we support just, I mean, not support, but we believe in just thrive. That's the one we really like. Um, Cause it's a spore one. That means it gets all the way into your gut. I mean, there's just many different things you can do. MSM by MRM, you know, green drinks, green smoothies, getting in those micronutrients. I'm sure you've talked about food a lot um, and what you can yep. do about those things on our show. But um, those types of things really do support their gut. And that's where the focus needs to be is on supporting the beneficial bacteria in the gut. Yeah, we love we love all that, and we would even throw in. Uh, we've had Doctor Zach Bush on, and his product Ion Biome also yes. can be extremely mm-hmm. beneficial. It kind of be it's kind of be, it can cut against the negative effects of glyphosate as well. But yeah, your story is incredibly similar to ours, and you know we just all learn this the hard way. So to get this message out, and for more people to really embrace the power of food is something we just can't talk enough about. And I just want to comment on how you started where, when you were saying kind of like the matrix, you are the one, right. To, to kind of look at it as you are that person. And I think you can, it can cut into three buckets. You could either be someone who just doesn't want to go down this road, doesn't take the mantle and says, listen, I'm just hoping food isn't that important. So you're guessing and you do nothing, or you can be in the middle where you're like, okay, I'm going to do something, but you're you're approaching it grudgingly, like it is a, mm-hmm. a chore, like I have to do this, how horrible this is. And that just feels the worst, you know? So, so the third option, obviously, is to truly embrace it, to want to like, not that I have to do this, but I get to. I get, I get to. to. I, I get to that. lead the way for my family. And if, and if I have a husband who's skeptical or friends and family who think I'm nuts, I am going to show them what this looks like and I don't need their permission. I can do this. And that's where we hope that parents are aligned. And when we coach parents, often it's both and they are, they jump on board together. But if not, because everyone has their own belief system, a mom or a dad, but more than likely a mom can lead the charge. Dad can kind of stay out of the way, hopefully. Uh, and and maybe he can jump on board when he's ready. And especially after, I know the way guys think, once they see something successful, don't yes. want to be a part of it. Yes, that's so true. That's exactly what happened in my house. And I did this program called PAX Programs by Allison Armstrong. It's all about men and women. I highly recommend it for everybody. It's so awesome. And she explained that women are up for trying things. Like we will bounce the baby on our knee over our bed. But like, right, we will do everything. With men, they get the baby. They're like, how do I hold it? Like they want to know the way, right? They want to know that it's worked. It's proven. I can win doing this, right? And, and they want the proven way. And so that can sometimes prevent them, you know, from trying something and finding a way that it will work. So that's why it's, it's so good to have a partnership with a wife who's willing to try things and do, and I don't want to stereotype everybody, but that's just something that I got. I was like, okay, we're not like, that helped me not be angry at my husband, right. For not trying things. It was just like, okay, so this is a man thing. This is not just a, my husband thing. Um, we women will try anything and do anything to find a way that works. And then, uh, once we do, yes, my husband got on board and was like, this is what we're doing. And then he full hundred percent supports it. Like when he goes out to grocery stores now, he will only buy organic, right? So um, he's he's on board and that that support is tremendous and really beneficial. But it, it does take um, not making him wrong in the learning process, right? Because then that just builds up the what you resist persist, right? So it just might, well, you know, honey, would you watch this movie with me? And would you try this? Right. And, you know, over time he, see, he saw the benefit in my kids' allergies reducing it. My kids can eat eggs and milk and wheat and, and, you know, whatever it is now, they can eat all that. We, we try to avoid the nuts, you know, but if my oldest son, especially does eat nuts, he doesn't have to go to the hospital. Incredible. I mean, that it's life-changing for us. It is life-changing. And of course the eggs and wheat and milk are all, you know, grass-fed, organic, local, you know, stuff like that as much as possible. So that just shows me that it's not the food. It is what's been done to it. But in order to get to that place where you can eat those foods again, 
you need to go 100% cold turkey organic so that you're not introducing that glyphosate in, and other toxic chemicals into your gut microbiome um, to support yourself to get better. And, and when you do that, your gut microbiome will balance out. It starts balancing out within days. Like I have seen tests of a guy who had very high levels of glyphosate. I think it was 31 parts per billion in his urine. My son had 8.7 for comparison. And so the lab owners were like, what are you eating? Like, like these are the highest level ever we've ever seen. And he said, well, I don't know. I eat pretty healthy. I eat mung beans every day. I love those. They're like, oh, mung beans. Those are dried. Are they organic? He said, no. And they're like, that's likely the source of your glyphosate. So he removed the mung beans and within... Um, I believe it was like three days, his, his levels went down 50%. And then when he ate a piece of pizza at a birthday party or a friend's house, whatever it was, they saw the immediate spike that day of glyphosate. And, but then it was down the next day. And by the third day it was gone again. So these, this can come out of your body. You can recover from this. And once you get it out of your body, now, okay, I can't, I can't say it's completely out of your body. It could be going in your bone marrow, it could, you know, your tendons, whatever. But as far as we know, you know, gut bacteria, um, urine, you know, those, those amounts, you can reduce it and your gut microbiome can improve. And that's what I really want people to know that you can do something about this. And it's so important too, because also, you might be spending all of this money on therapy, you know, yes. therapy for your child. And then it's like, but if they're still eating crap, you need that foundation strong. And so that's where it's almost like food first, you know, really kind of taking this approach seriously, because you might just be spinning wheels, wasting money, wasting time, just supporting those other things where it's like, hey, if you get that foundation right, so much more is possible. You know, it's kind of that, that healthy soil for your child so they can kind of grow and thrive. Yeah, really good point. And because what happens in the soil also in, in the garden, you know, reducing. Oh, the other thing I didn't mention about glyphosate is that it's a chelator. And that means it grabs onto the vitamin, the, the vital nutrients of any living thing it touches, like the minerals and the vitamins, and it makes them unavailable to that living thing. And so it does that in the soil. And it has the plants that we are now eating be less nutrient dense. And the tests, the tests are showing that. And so when you have, you're consuming food that's less nutrient dense, you consume more food. And, and that's leading to obesity and diabetes and all types of other issues. But it's also leading to nutrient deficient children and human beings that, and, and that means their bodies no longer function the way they're supposed to. You know, if you have low zinc, for instance, you're going to have high copper. Children with autism have high copper. That's like across the board. If you have a low vitamin D, you can't fight cancer. If you have low vitamin C, there's a lot of autoimmune issues that come up, right? And what's happening right now with COVID? Oh, holy mackerel. All these people have low vitamin D. The people consistently across the board that had severe symptoms from COVID and died had very low levels of vitamin D. If you have above 50, the chances, that, and studies show this, above 50, whatever the milligrams or nanograms, whatever the, I'm sorry, I don't know the measurements, but the number is if it's above 50, your chances of dying from COVID are practically zero. Other than yeah. obesity, it's the most strongly correlated link yeah. is that vitamin D deficiency. Yeah, yeah. And and Stephanie Seneff has talked a lot about how glyphosate can interrupt your body's ability to make vitamin D. Hello, you know, like yeah. people think I, you know, some of us are kind of kooky for connecting glyphosate to all of these different health issues. But if you know how it works, it's a chelator, it's an endocrine disruptor, it's um, you know, the way that it functions being a carcinogen, all these different ways, if you know how it operates and how, what it does in the body, then it suddenly starts to make sense. Dr. Seneff uh, had a mind-blowing quote at a conference I was at that I, I really had to pause and think about, and I'm sure you've heard it, Zen, where she was saying that some of the highest levels of glyphosate on food are on non-GMO foods, which yes. sounds counterintuitive. You think, oh, non-GMO, this is great. But in actuality, glyphosate and genetic modification are two separate things. And you could be, like to Cass's point, looking at a package non-GMO something that maybe says nothing about organic, it's just non-GMO. And you think, okay, this must be healthy, but it could have huge levels of glyphosate. We've never really talked about glyphosate on this show. And I think, uh, I love that we're talking about it now. We'll probably just dedicate an episode on it because there's so much to understand 
Oh, so much, especially with Stephanie Seneff. She can, <laughs> yeah, her studies have really uh, expanded the, our understanding of glyphosate. Yeah, she's yeah. leading the charge for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Don Huber, Howard Vliger. Um, there's just so many farmers that I've learned so much about glyphosate. Howard Vliger, I listened to his talk 14 times in one week when he came to our area. And um, and yeah, there's a lot to learn about this very unique chemical that has to be tested for separately. And and we learned that the hard way when we initiated the first glyphosate testing project in America, you know, with citizen funding. And, and we had people send in their urine and their tap water and also their breast milk to get tested for glyphosate. This was, we initiated back in 2013 and released the results in early 2014. And the results were shocking, you know, that some of the levels found in breast milk were 3000 times higher than has been shown to cause sex hormone changes in, in rat studies. And uh, it was prevalent in the majority of our tap water and children's urine, you know, and so this is a very prevalent, you know, almost ubiquitous issue. And this is why we've been working for 10 years to ban glyphosate. And this October, the EPA is supposed to release their answer about this. And they already said, oh, it's basically fine for humans. And you know why they did that? Because there's so many lawsuits, they kind of had to, they couldn't say, oh, this is harmful for humans because it would fuel all the lawsuits and put these major corporations that fund the EPA out of business, right? So that didn't would not work for them. But they just did an, an, an endangered species report assessment. And they did admit that glyphosate does harm 93% of endangered species and is either 96 or 97% of their critical habitats. So they could revoke the license of glyphosate based on the endangered species impact alone. And we're supposed to find that out in October. So we are working as hard as we can to try to, you know, continue to raise awareness, continue to put pressure on the EPA. We want to do more testing and we want to show things like glyphosate levels in fertilizer because that impacts humans and the, the creatures in the soil. You know, you mentioned soil and, you know, the, the worms and the, the birds. There was actually recently a study showing that glyphosate's been found in wild rabbits, right? It's been found in the tree barks of Siberian forests. <laughs> so it's getting out there. And if the EPA doesn't do something about it, it is going to decimate life on the planet. We, it's like, it's just going to take out the majority of life. So we really, we do ask for support. If you can support Moms Across America to get more testing done on things like that. We also want to test school lunches. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yeah. Um, but not just for glyphosate. We want to test for all of the top, most widely used pesticides. And we say this because the EPA and the CDFA, the California Department of Food and Agriculture, don't test for the most widely used herbicides and pesticides. So for instance, the top out of the top 20, out of the top 25 pesticides that they test for, you know, for residue levels to make sure they're in acceptable limits, only three of them are the most widely used, right? So when they come out and say, oh, we've tested and, you know, 98% of the foods that we tested out of the whatever thousand samples that we did uh, were not above allowable limits. So it's basically safe. Well, only you only tested for three of the most widely used. You didn't test for any of the top 25 most widely used, right? So we want to test for the most widely used herbicides and pesticides, including 2,4-D and Parquad and Diquad and all of these, atrazine. And we want to test for glyphosate and we want to test for heavy metals. Heavy metals have been found in very high levels in baby food. Probably need to do a whole other show on that. Even organic baby food, I think because of the fertilizers being used in organic agriculture. So it's better to make your own baby food, folks. Just please do that. So the heavy metals, the pesticides, and we also want to test for nutrient density. And this costs about $1,000 a sample. So we really do need support. But if you can uh, get a, you know, have a wealthy uncle or aunt or somebody yeah. contact us, I will talk to them personally about why this is so important. <laughs> Okay. So we know moms across America and we will have the links to all of the amazing work that you are doing in the show notes. Thank you. Are there any apps or other sites that you recommend for parents to kind of also use to kind of get educated? I remember there was an app that I had like once upon a time, what, what's on my food. And it was great because it was comparing conventional to organic. So you could kind of see what, you know, like an apple, what chemicals were kind of found on a conventionally raised versus organic, which helped me like, okay, there is no doubt in my mind. If I'm buying apples, it absolutely has to be organic. But like, are there other resources that you would recommend for parents getting educated? 
Yeah, absolutely. We have loved working with Organic Consumers Association for a very long time. They have a wonderful uh, resource of information. Pesticide Action Network, they also did testing on, just like you talked about, on apples to show, oh, there's 54 different pesticides on an average apple, you know, things like that. And I think once you see that, what the test results are, it, it really does, you know, put that oomph in your step to head towards the organic um, food aisle. Uh, a lot of people mention the EWG Clean 15 list, and I have to say that can be useful. I personally don't like memorizing things. I just can't, don't memorize things like that. Um, but I have to mention it because so many people use it. And, and, and I have to say there's a caveat there, which we have talking, been talking to them about for years, is they have sweet corn on their list of the Clean 15. And we completely disagree with that because if you don't say non-GMO and organic, then, you know, there's a, there's a problem there. Syngenta alone has 12 different varieties of GMO sweet corn. So uh, we do not agree with that list in its entirety, right? Some of the other things um, I'm sure are better Yep. better listing. Yeah. So yeah, those are some, we just, we just appreciate all the friends of the earth and beyond pesticides. Uh, there's so many different groups that are, are doing good work. U.S. right to know there's a lot of groups in the food arena that are doing good things, but I'm, I'm not a, really an app person, so to speak, as far as like checking something in the aisle. I'm okay. sorry. I just, yeah, no, really no. And all of the, all those resources are great. The other thing I encourage parents too is, you know, shopping their local farmer's market where in having conversations and actually being able to go visit the farms. I know for us, for where we are, we have visited the farmers that we buy from are farms that we've visited. Um, And you might have someone who practices organic, but maybe doesn't pay for the certification. Yes. So knowing a farmer is so key. Yeah. And I'll put a plug out for a website called Farmatch dot com by Max Kane. And you can plug in your zip code, I believe, or your address and find farms around you that are, I believe he goes for organic. So I, I'm not entirely sure, but I think they're organic or biodynamic, things like that. So yeah, finding those ma- those farms around you and connecting with them, supporting them, asking them if they need help, if they need to harvest a crop and Uh, you've got a bunch of teenage boys watching video games like I do, (laughs) you know, just say, Hey, can we come help, you know, during those times and get them out in the farm and, and learn about it. We've also, uh, I highly recommend woofing program, W O O F I N G or woof program and, and going woofing it's worldwide opportunities on organic farms. And you can go and work on a farm for four hours a day. And they give you usually free board, and, you know, room and board, if it's not room, then you bring your own tent or RV, um, but they usually feed you at least one or two meals. And you can do that for weeks or months at a time and learn how to grow your own food. We did that uh, going cross country as well. And that was just really brings an appreciation um, to, to food and eating healthy. And just the taste of the food is so much better that that gets kids on board pretty quick too. Fantastic. Yeah, this has been a dynamite conversation. I, I just want to make Two quick comments, and I have a final question for you, Zen. Comment one is that glyphosate, we keep talking about it as a pesticide, but it was really patented as an antibiotic. Thank you. And so when you really look at that, it just kills everything. You know, so so when you look at it that way, it kind of takes on a very different, it poses a different level of danger, at least in my opinion. So, So that's the first thing. And then the second thing, particularly with all the lawsuits, the argument that says glyphosate is safe is contingent on the idea that glyphosate attacks a certain pathway, the shikimate pathway that is in these plants. And that's basically how it causes the plants to the weeds and all that to die or the pests to die. And the argument is that it can't hurt humans because we don't have that pathway, that shikimate pathway. But the big aha, obviously, is that, sure, maybe we humans with our DNA don't, but our microbiome does. And the microbiome, yes. gut health is so incredibly important. So it's just that key understanding I thought was really powerful and something I think most people don't understand. Yes. And it, 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 thank you so much for bringing that to our attention. Yes, it is an antibiotic. It's a chelator. It's an endocrine disruptor. And once you understand those three ways of how it works, then all of these other health issues make sense. And and that's what chemical companies and many different companies do, right? They, they see a little loophole like, oh, it doesn't hurt this. So it's going to be okay. No, you're just, you're just basing your claims on an assumption 
and on bad science. And they have created junk science over and over and over again. And the Monsanto trial showed that they actually did, were ghostwriters. You know, Donna Farmer was a ghostwriter for many of these studies. So once you understand how it works and also the fraud that has gone on, I mean, they got, they got, were found guilty of oppression and malice, like malice, you know, oppressing the actual science. The EPA knew back in 1985 that glyphosate could cause cancer. They, Donna Farmer said they didn't test Roundup directly in food with the rats because, oh no, I think, yeah, the full formulation. They only tested just glyphosate alone, but the full formulation of Roundup has many other toxic chemicals and heavy metals in it. And she said, we didn't do that because it hurt the, the stomach linings of the rats. They're, their lines are so delicate, right? Well, hello, what is it doing to our kids when it's in the food? And then she other, the other thing she said is, no, the only studies that showed that Roundup, the full formulation, was really harmful. The studies that we did was when it was injected. No, no, sorry, glyphosate alone. When glyphosate alone, the only studies that showed that it was really harmful to humans was when it was injected. And we know it's not injected. Oh, no, we don't. We know now it is injected. We sent five childhood samples of of childhood vaccines, sorry, five samples of childhood vaccines to a lab to be tested for glyphosate with the methodology that this owner of the lab developed with Monsanto and found glyphosate in every single one of those childhood vaccines. And then another scientist tested 14 and he found practically the same results. Almost every childhood vaccine had glyphosate in it. Why is glyphosate in childhood vaccines, you ask? Because most likely the animals, the pigs that are eating the glyphosate grains, right, with like a thousand parts per billion of glyphosate on it, that glyphosate goes into its tendons. The tendons are ground up and made into gelatin. Gelatin is, is a, an ingredient in vaccines, especially live vaccines like the MMR vaccine, as much as 25% because it stabilizes the live vaccine. And gelatin is made of that pig tendon. And glyphosate, you know, goes into the tendon, it goes into the glyphosate, the gelatin goes into the vaccine. There's also other GMO components, most likely. When you look at the ingredients of vaccines, the, the components are usually like uh, bovine serum, uh, chicken part, you know, eggs, um, sugar, which is sprayed with glyphosate as a drying agent, right? There's many different ingredients that are most likely genetically modified. And like we said, 80% of GMOs are engineered to withstand glyphosate. Glyphosate doesn't wash, dry, or cook off. So that's why it's most likely in vaccines. And that's the reason why I sent those vaccines to be tested, because I was like, wait a second, that's likely what's happening here. And unfortunately, um, showed in our testing to be true. We did ask the CDC and the FDA to test. They blew us off. We did a Freedom of Information Act a year later. I got back a couple, I don't know, 150 pages of documents, more than 50 or 60 or 70% of them were redacted. So we don't know if they've tested for glyphosate and vaccines or not. Um, but we would suspect if there's gelatin and GMO ingredients in there, you know, from crops and animals, that likely there would be. We did not... Um, start out at Moms Across America to be like anti-vax or anything. I just saw the ingredients and I was like, wait a second, those are likely GMO. We're, we're, we're all about GMOs and the food supply. And I was like, what is going on here? And when we did the testing and we showed that, of course, now we're being called anti-vax. Right. All, all we want is our kids to be safe. That's all. Yep. <laughs> we just want them to be safe. <laughs> yeah, and, and that leads me to my question, which is, okay, if it's a focus, since we've really covered glyphosate, the obvious question I think a lot of listeners are having is, okay, how how can I test and let's say, and, and find out what the level of glyphosate is. I know there's a lot of boutique yes. tests that are out there, but is there any one particular one that you find is reliable and let's say easy to do or affordable if people just want to get a sense of how much is this in my kid? Yes. Yeah, so there are actually, I think there's three labs that we recommend on our website. We try not to just recommend one type of product. It comes across as promotion or whatever, but we, there's three labs and, um, HRI Labs is the one that we work very often with. I think their test is $95 or $99 to test for glyphosate, and their levels are very low. You know, very like the detectable levels are very low, which is what you want. You don't want high levels. So if you go to any other lab, I would um, ask them, what is your the lowest level of detection? And you want to make sure that I mean, I think HRI Labs is like 0 0.05 or something, which is, I haven't heard of anything any lower. So you want to make sure that it's low level. Some, some labs test for 10 parts per million or billion or whatever. You know, even that's, it's, you want it to be lower than that. 
That's great. Yeah, no, just, uh, and, and I know that's just one of many great resources that are uh, on your website. So we encourage everyone, Moms Across America. Uh, I didn't mention it at the beginning, but you have an outstanding book, Unstoppable, which is right behind you. Uh, definitely a really empowering book, talks about your story. So encourage people also to uh, to check that out. And just we really couldn't be more thankful that you're uh, spending time with us today. And we look forward to a future conversation. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. I'm so happy to meet parents and coaches that are so knowledgeable on this subject. It really is just, it gives me a huge sigh of relief because I've been working on this for so long. And then to meet other people that know about this and that are empowering other people, it makes me not feel alone. (laughs) You know, like I'm not the only one. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. We have partners out there all across the country now that are supporting families to do this, whether we know them or you or not, you know, and we are, there's just many, many people working together on this. And I really believe, and I've seen it in my own family, we can recover our children. We just need to have the determination to do this, to say, I'm the one, right? And empower your kid to say, I'm the one that is going to do something about this. It doesn't matter what's going on in the White House. What matters is what's going on in your house. And you are the one that buys the food. If you don't like that your kid is eating something, don't buy it. It's as simple as that. (laughs) Just stop buying it. There's plenty of other food to buy, right? So you're in control. I don't want to hear from, I mean, okay, I do hear it, but I I don't want the excuse to keep happening of, well, he only will do this if I give him Skittles or he will only eat chicken nuggets. You know, these come in. No, then buy organic chicken nuggets and buy organic, whatever, berries, you know, blueberries, give him blueberries instead of Skittles. So, you know, you're the one that's in, in control. So take it on for yourself. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate being with you. Want to learn how to avoid the 33 mistakes most autism parents make? Get your free training today. Visit autismparentingsecrets.com slash unstoppable.